This is encouraging. I was walking down the aisle getting ready to come up here, and a little kid was telling his mom, I said, I don't get to go to Blast. And she goes, no, you get to stay in here, Brother Donnie. And he goes, rescue the perishing. <laughs> Thank you, Russ. Thank you for that song. Hey, open your Bibles to John chapter 2. That's probably the highlight of the sermon. I know that. Also, I'm also going to bless you. You can pray for Bill's failure because he got tested Friday. Let's pray he fails that test, okay? That's for you, Bill. I'll be glad to have him back and uh, just pray for him and Joyce and make sure everything's okay with him and pray for all our people. Man, our prayer list is tiring, isn't it? And uh, I tell you what, as a church, we just need to take care of each other. We are in this together and do what we can to protect each other. And we're going to get through this, and there are brighter days ahead. John chapter 2. I tell you, if there's one thing that I know that was positive out of this pandemic, and that was the fact that some people got their houses clean. (laughs) Is that an amen? I've gotten a gajillion calls. When is that benevolent center opening? <laughs> i got stuff to bring up. But I'll tell you what, I'm not talking about that kind of house cleaning. Today, I want to talk about this, uh, when Jesus cleaned the temple. And it's the kind of house cleaning that happens when we as a, a people let Jesus come in and do the cleaning. He's the ultimate cleaner. It's the kind where where people, it's a time when people let him come in and get in every closet, every corner, everything we're trying to hide, everything we try to ignore, Jesus comes in and cleans it all, isn't it? And I know we're talking about the temple, but I'm talking about our hearts. That's where the, the, the emphasis of this sermon is going, when we can let Jesus come in and clean our hearts. It's when we get and we don't worry about the, the shame and the humiliation and the embarrassment of, of what he finds. We know that he's going to take care of it, and he's going to make it better. We decide to, it's what happens when we decide to follow Jesus and really, and to mold our lives after him. It's when we decide to to stand up and really do church like Jesus wants us to do church. Because that's what this was about when he went in that temple, wasn't it? He was trying to clean it up. It had gotten so bad, it was... It had gotten to the point where it never was what God intended it to be for the people. And they had gotten in there and they had taken advantage of everybody. They had cheated people. They had level of corruption was unbearable. And Jesus decided it was time to take care of it. This story is found in, in all four Gospels. And not a lot of passages about the story. Uh, three of them presented the story after Jesus' triumphal entry in Jerusalem. John puts the story at the first part of Jesus' ministry. So I think, I'm one of those that think that there was probably two cleansings of that temple. Because it makes sense to me that Jesus can come in and clean it, and as people go, 
As soon as Jesus left, they messed it up again. That's just the way we are as people, and we need to accept that. But this this sermon, we we were doing the book of John over at the Benevolent Center, and uh, I had a chance to, to preach on this particular passage of Scripture. And it just, I don't know, something about it. You know, sometimes you read a scripture and it just kind of kind of gets to you. And so I started digging into it and looking for it. And I came up with some articles and things other people wrote that really moved me. And I said, you know, you can preach that. You can preach that. And really it's, it's lessons that, number one, that, that appeals to us, it challenges us on a personal level. The personal level of really letting Jesus take over your heart and letting him clean up the mess. Number two, it really challenges us on a congregational level on what we do as a church and and how we do it and how important it is to Jesus in what we do. We need to never forget that. And then we also, it challenges us on a leadership level. So all of you who, who consider yourself leaders of this church, look at some of these things. I'm going to have six lessons to give you about when Jesus cleans house in your life. Unfortunately, it's going to take me about 30 minutes to get there. <laughs> no, just kidding. Just kidding. I like to do that to people. So let's start by looking at the text. If you would open up to John chapter 2. And we'll read verse 13 through 17. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. In making a whip of cords, he drove them out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. Jesus knew what was going on in the temple. I love this picture of Jesus here. If you're, think you, it's fuzzy, it's fuzzy. Don't be wiping your glasses, I'm sorry. I couldn't get it any plainer, making it into a, a, a slide. But Jesus knew, I, I just, I believe with all my heart that Jesus being who Jesus was, he knew what he was going to find in that temple when he went there. And I think Jesus knew what he was going to do once he got there. And more importantly, Jesus knew exactly why he did it. And I, I would like you, if you could put yourself into that place and to see this man sit down and look around and start making that whip and watching and looking around observing what happened and then when he got finished with his whip and he had had enough what did he do well he got up and he started into the people scripture says that he drove them out this wasn't a gathering of people where a policeman comes in and says, okay, it's all over, go home. And everybody just kindly marching off and going home. 
He drove them out. He expelled them from the temple. He forced them out of the temple. And can you imagine the noise, the confusion, the yelling, the screaming? And here's Jesus with that whip. And that's what I like about that picture because this was not, like I say, this was not just a somebody standing up and giving their point of view in a crowd. This was the Son of God delivering a message to the Jews and really, I think, a message to us today. And it looks like he is just fixing the goal. That's what I like about that picture. He's not fooling around, is it? He's not fooling around. Let's keep reading. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered this when it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. This is a different picture. I I got these. I think they came from YouTube. And it's a little clearer picture. And you can see those tables coming over. What I really don't like about this picture, I think there was more people around I don't think it really captures the confusion and mayhem that was going on at this time. But I can see in that picture, when I look at that picture, I can see Jesus' power, Jesus' anger, Jesus' zeal for his Father's house, and I can see Jesus' care for what was being done in his Father's house was where he was making his point. I think it's a picture of of Jesus taking up for his people, protecting his people. He was tired of them being cheated. He was tired of them being ignored. He was tired of them being taught wrong. He was tired of them for being taken advantage of and being ignored by the very people that were charged with teaching them about Jesus. He was tired of the corruption. He was tired of the insincere worship. So why did this happen? I want to go back in in time a little bit. This is an artist's depiction of of Jerusalem at the time. Right in here, I've been waiting for this moment when I can use this little pointer. (laughs) That's the temple area there. And I want you to imagine that. If you can imagine that at the time this story took place, that place was packed. This was the Passover most important feast that the Jews observed. And people came from everywhere into this city. It was crowded. It was going. And it was just an amazing sight. But it was the temple. It was the temple that God had provided for his people. Isaiah called it, uh, he wrote in Isaiah 56 and 7, These I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer for, you remember how he ended that passage? For all nations. God never intended that temple just to be used for the Jewish people. He always wanted people to come to Christ or come to God, come to him. I wonder if we have that same mission today in our house. 
I want you to turn, if you would, over to 1 Kings. This will probably be the most lengthy reading we have today. And this is the First Kings chapter 8. I'm sorry, I should tell you that, shouldn't I? This is uh, Solomon's prayer of dedication at the original temple that was built, that Solomon had built. If you want to jot something down, I mean, you, 22 through 61, I think it's on there, it's 1 Kings 8, 22 through 61. That's the whole prayer, and it's a beautiful prayer. I want to just take a few snippets out of it and, and see if we can get the feel of what God intended that temple to be. Starting in, uh, start in verse 33. When your people, Israel, are defeated before the enemy because they have sinned against you, and if they turn again to you and acknowledge your name and pray and plead with you in this house, then hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your people, Israel, and bring them again to the land that you gave their fathers. Let them repent. I'll forgive. I want to bring them home. Drop down to verse 37. If there's famine in the land, if there's a pestilence or blight or mildew or locust or caterpillar, if the enemy besages them in the land of their gates, wherever plague, wherever sickness there is, whatever prayer, whatever plea is made by any man or by all people of Israel, each knowing the affliction in his own heart and stretching out his hands toward this place. 41. Likewise, when a foreigner who is not of your people Israel comes from a far country for your name's sake, for they shall hear of your great name and your mighty hand and your outstretched arms. Isn't that beautiful? Let a foreigner come in among you and show him what the love of God is. He'll be here with outstretched hands waiting for you. 46. If they sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin, and you are angry with them and give them an enemy so that they may be carried away captive to the land of the enemy far off and near, yet if they turn their heart from the land to which they have been carried captive and repent and plead with you in the land of their captors, saying, We have sinned and have acted perversely and wicked. If they repent, look what he says to them. I lost my place. Sorry. If they repent with all their mind, with all their heart, in the land of the enemies who carried them captive and pray to you toward the land which you give to the fathers, the city in which you have chosen, and the house that I have built in your name. This temple was a place of prayer. It was a place of forgiveness. It was a place of of repentance. It was a place of restoration. It was a place of worship. And Jesus said they have turned it into a house of business. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke's version, Jesus said you've turned it into a den of thieves, a den of robbers, whatever your translation says. So what happens when Jesus cleans cleans house? And this is where I wanted to get to. When Jesus cleans house, purity is the goal. Purity is the goal. James wrote, draw near to God, he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and do what to your hearts? Purify your hearts. Paul wrote to the uh, church at Ephesus and he made that beautiful comparison of the church 
and of a husband and of a wife. And he wrote in the fifth chapter, verses 25 through 27, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. When Jesus claims it's all about motives, it's all about the influence of the world and what we let come into this house, it's all about our hearts. It's all about how the church can be the church that God needs in the city of Tyler. Also, when Jesus cleans the house, it's a call for boldness. 2 Timothy 1 and 7, For God gave us not a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. I go back to that slide. And in that slide, that's not a man out of control. That's not a man who has lost his mind and got in the temple and just raised all kind of cain. That is a man that is showing his power as the son of God. He is showing his love for his fellow man in the wicked direction they were going and he's showing self-control in his life because he could have done much, much worse if that would have been his father's will. A great purpose that God, that Jesus showed here His goal was cleaning up his father's house, preparing for the coming church. When Jesus cleans house, you will face hardships. When you come from a place where you are out of harmony with God, there's going to be pain involved. When you come from a place when your life has embarrassed you, There is going to be shame. When you come from a place where your life has been hurtful to others, there has to be amends made. Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, 2 Corinthians 4, 8 and 10, We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. We are struck down, but we're not destroyed. Always carrying in the body of the death of Christ so that, the life of Christ may be manifested in our bodies. When we let Jesus clean house, when we let Jesus clean our hearts, there is purpose in our pain. There is purpose in our shame. There is purpose in our embarrassment. There is purpose in making amends. When we let Jesus clean our house, When Jesus cleans house, he will be the only one to notice the filth. We tend to ignore, we tend to overlook, we tend to procrastinate, we blame others, but Jesus knows. I talked about those closets. Don't we all have closets that we never open when somebody comes over to visit? (laughs) Jesus don't care what's in it. 
you've got places in your heart that is such a deep, dark secret, it's so painful to use. Jesus wants you to come to the acknowledgement of what it is, and he wants to take care of you. He wants to clean our hearts. Hebrew writer wrote in Hebrews 4, 12, and 13, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and mirrors, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from sight, but all are, my translation says, naked and exposed in the eyes of him whom we give an account. Jesus knows. He knows our mistakes. He knows what will be done. All he wants to do is help you get back on the right path. When Jesus cleans the house, actions speak louder than words. When Jesus cleans our hearts, we respond with actions that are prompted by our faith, and people will know our repentance by the deeds we do. It's scripture. When Paul was making his claim against Agrippa, he made the statement in Acts 26 that I was not disobedient in heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem and throughout the whole region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds, keeping with their repentance. And then John wrote, Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in, what's your Bible say? Deed and truth. People know when we're all talk, our actions will show them. And lastly, when Jesus cleans house, we will deal with the consequences. The world doesn't teach us that. The world just teaches, hey, it's going to be okay. You'll be fine. Just get in there, hang loose, and just let it go and let somebody else clean up after you. That's what they tell them. Jesus is not like you, not like that. I'm going to take you back to Ezra, the book of Ezra. In the 10th chapter, the first four verses, Ezra had come back, came back, and was rebuilding the temple. And he had found that all the people had intermarried with other people. They had already started out in the wrong foot, and they were in a mess. Temple work had stopped. The whole, everything, worship was corrupted. It was, it was in a bad way. And look what happened. Ezra 10, 1 through 4. While Ezra prayed and made confession, weeping and casting himself down before the house of God, and very, and very great assembly of men, women, and children gathered to him out of Israel, for the people wept bitterly. And Shechaniah, sorry, the son of Jehel and the sons of Elam addressed Ezra. And listen to what they said. We have broken faith with our God and have married foreign women from the peoples of the land. And even now there is hope of Israel in spite of this. Therefore, let us make a covenant with God to put away all these wives and their children according to the counsel of the Lord. And of those who tremble at the commandment of our God, let it be done according to the law. Let us do what you want us to do, God. Then they say, arise, for it is your task, and we are with you. Be strong and do it. And I thought Nike brought that out. <laughs> Just do it. 
Sometimes that's what we have to do. We just need to do it and get through it and face it and get over with it and go to a new beginning with Jesus as our ruler and master. We need to do it in spite of the pain, in spite of the shame, in spite of the fact it's not popular. We need to put our wants and desires on the back burner and just follow Jesus. That's all he has ever wanted for us to do. So my question to you today is, are you ready for Jesus to clean your heart? Are you struggling with your purity? Are you struggling with your boldness? Do you need prayer for difficulties in your life? Is there some sin in your life that you're overlooking and trying to ignore and is keeping you from being that person Jesus needs here at West Irwin in you? Are you having trouble with your walk, matching your talk? Is there something you're dealing with that needs to be straightened out? I'm telling you, don't hold out. Don't hold out. Open your heart today. Invite him in. Let him do the work that he does so good. If there's anything that we can do for you today, come today. Don't wait. Come as we stand and as we sing.